0: I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 1. All right. <clears throat> Today we're going to be we're going to spend several weeks talking about a talking about one thing. I want you to listen and let it get deep in your hearts. And I want you to learn. If you've been in church for years and years, you can st- we can still learn. I need an amen there. Okay. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We're going to find out what the kingdom of God is. And uh, we're going to look at this in scripture. Spend several weeks today. I want to do a simple overview of the kingdom of God. And I want you to read with me in scripture. I don't know if you know where this is at. Uh, for years and years of world history, men lived in darkness because we fell from God's original plan we had an old covenant and that old covenant was centered around 10 commandments. And those 10 commandments were laws to follow that would let humanity exist pretty well along the way. And then all of a sudden something happened. God stepped down to the earth. He created the word became flesh. God became a man and dwelt among us. All right. For 30 years, nobody knew it. He grew up. Nobody knew who he was. He grew up in a humble home, we call Jesus a carpenter. You think of a carpenter as somebody builds houses. Actually, he built furniture. He and his dad had a fault. He and his dad had a small furniture shop. He's just a good Jewish boy. Nobody saw anything special in him. Then all of a sudden, one day he went to visit the Jordan River. He was baptized and the spirit of God came down on him and he stood up and he announced, I've got a message. And this carpenter, furniture maker, became a preacher. And a lot of people didn't like it because he didn't have credentials. And they asked him, what are your credentials? And he said, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. And people knew it. Even the people that didn't like him had to admit, you couldn't do this if God wasn't with you. So this man stands up and begins to preach a message from God. And it's God speaking in the earth. And it's God saying, Now is a special time in the earth and something's going to happen. And we're going to read the first thing Jesus ever spoke when he began to preach. This is his first message. First thing he ever said, it's in Mark chapter one, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let's just pause right there. Gospel means message, good news, whatever. Tell me what Jesus preached. He preached the kingdom of God and his message, Jesus came preaching a message gospel of the kingdom of God. This was his message. He preached it. And then he said this in verse 15. I want you to follow this with me. He said, saying the time is fulfilled. You know what that means? A set point in world history is now here on God's calendar. This is a special day and, and it's the right time. We've reached the place in time. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It hadn't been available up to now. But this is the time on God's eternal calendar when the kingdom of heaven is now available. The kingdom of God is available. At hand means you can reach it, you can touch it, you can take it. It's here for you. And Jesus said, This is my message. I came to bring this news to the earth. The kingdom of God is now available. And it's here, it's at hand. You can take it if you want to. And then he said this I want you to repent. The word repent doesn't mean cry at an altar. It means change the way you think. Repent means turn. Change the way you think about life and do what? All right, your, your Bible may say believe in the gospel. We have trouble with the word believe because to us means to a mental assent. People say, well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. But he's not, it's not helping him any. <clears throat> Let me give you another word for that word believe, expect the word believe when Jesus speaks, it means expect. He said, you understand what he's saying? He said, the time has come. I've brought a message from heaven. The kingdom of God is available. I want you to change the way you think and start expecting this kingdom in your life. I want you to expect this. All right. Now what we need to do now from that moment until the day Jesus gets back to earth, the kingdom is available in the earth. I want, we need to define what the kingdom is. Surely you've heard kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing. What is, what is the definition of the kingdom of God, a pure definition? Before I define it, let me tell you what it's not. It is not the same thing as religion or church activity. I'm not criticizing. And a lot of times they do intermix, but the kingdom of God is not church activity, going to church, being a part of a church or religion. A lot of that is uh, good stuff being done by good people, but that's not the kingdom of God. Here's a simple working definition for the kingdom of God through scripture. Uh, just so simply put, here it is. It is the activity of God in the earth by his spirit. It is God working in the earth by his spirit. <clears throat> you know, in church, we might come together and fellowship and we might decide to take up money to feed hungry people and we feed hungry people. That's good. We're told to do that, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when God works in the earth. The kingdom of God is, you know, in church for years, most, most churches, they teach, you should not curse and smoke. You need to be nice to people. You need to treat people good. Well, that's fine, but that's not the kingdom of God. That's people doing things. The kingdom of God is God doing things. It's God working in the earth. And how does he do it? By his spirit. It's when God's spirit, it's when God begins to do things for people in the earth. And what did Jesus say? It's time for God to start working in the earth. It's at hand. The time is set for the kingdom of God to come in the earth. And, and the, listen to me, the, the main theme of all of, what was the number one theme of all of Jesus' teaching through the Bible? The kingdom of God. Over and over, G- Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus defined the kingdom of God working in the earth. And he demonstrated it. He showed what it would look like when it came. And he called people, you can do this. You, you can experience this. All right, we're gonna do an overview this morning of the kingdom of God. We're gonna take several weeks and slow it down, but I just wanna do a, a real quick sketch of it. Uh, the kingdom of God, I break it down into five categories through scriptures, and I wanna to touch all five of those this morning. Just I just want you to come out with a mindset of, so that's what it is. And remember, the kingdom of God is God working in the earth, and I'm gonna give you five categories that we see in scripture that we would call the kingdom of God. And they're not in order of importance. Matter of fact, I've saved the most important one for last. Here are five areas that God does things for people. And this is titled the kingdom of God. Number one, uh, kingdom resources. Kingdom resources are part of the kingdom of God. Now we all, everybody needs stuff. We all need stuff. Uh, Everybody needs water, need clean water, bathing water. Everybody needs food. Everybody needs shelter. Everybody needs clothing. Everybody needs energy. We all have to have electricity, fuel. God just created us to need things. And on the planet we need things. We have a problem. The the year I was born, there were 2.8 billion people on the planet, on the in the earth. It took thousands of years to get up to 2.8 billion. Today there are 7.8 billion. It took thousands of years to get there, and now all of a sudden we have we have a population explosion. And not, only, and not only has the population exploded, the need for goods has gone higher than the explosion of the population. And so there's a tremendous need. Everybody needs stuff. Well, he knew us. He knew we'd need that when he created us. All right, the kingdom of God is in the, in the earth, comes in the earth. When God begins to provide things for you, when God becomes your provider, that's kingdom resources. Jesus told us to pray like this. I may believe we should pray like Jesus tells us to pray. Amen. Don't pray out of your emotions. Don't pray like you heard somebody pray in a church. Listen to the man when he says, when you pray, say this. We should pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray. And he said this, I want you to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. I want you to look to heaven for everything you need for your resources. Now, I can work hard if I'm strong and smart and there's opportunity. I can work and provide for myself. And uh, the Bible teaches work. Three amens out of that. But God wants you to shift your thinking and realize my help comes from the Lord. He is my source. And do uh, you know what this will do to you on the inside when you realize that the kingdom of God is his resource? All through the Bible, you see this. What, what was that manna thing about? Do you remember when God led his children through the wilderness, a hard place, which is a picture of our journey with him. And every morning they got up and God rained bread down from heaven. What's that a picture of? I'll be your source. I'm the source of everything you need. Now, let me, we're in trouble in our nation right now financially. And there's a lot of fighting and striving going on over resources. Matter of fact, most of the world's wars are over resources. All right, here's a picture of kingdom resources, divine resources. There's a parable in the Bible called the parable of the prodigal son, and you have a young man who decided, I don't want to. I don't want to be in relationship with my father. I, I can handle life on my own. So he struck out to handle life on his own, and he found himself completely without starving, struggling. You, you say well, he was a lazy bum. Go back and read it again. He was a hard worker. He got a job working on a farm. He was managing pigs. He worked hard, but the best he could do was not enough. And he found himself short on resources. So he had a change of mind, which is to repent. He changed his mind. And he said, I'm going back and get in relationship with my father. And he went back, got in relationship with his father. And the moment he was in relationship with his father, what happened? New clothes, new shoes, eating prime rib, Kill the fatted calf. We call that prime rib. Eating prime rib. What's the Bible teaches right there? Sometimes the best you can do is not enough. Get in right relationship with the Father and you'll have kingdom resources. God will provide all of your needs. All through. As a matter of fact, we probably look at it next week. The great passage in scripture where God tells us, you you think different from everybody else, which is Luke 12, where he said, uh, everybody in this planet lives to make a living. People they, they want to you know they want to make sure they can retire well and there's nothing wrong with that. But all these things the people of the world seek, and Jesus said, I want you to be different. Seek ye first what? This is Luke twelve thirty-one. You seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. You can rest securely the day you fall off that planet, off this planet on that one verse. And in that passage Jesus is talking about financial resources. He talks about food. He talks about clothes. He said, everybody's nervous about meeting their financial resources. Jesus said, forget it. Don't you even think about it. You seek first the kingdom of God. You make the priority of your life. My kingdom, I'll pay all your bills. Everything will be taken care of. You say, but brother Brown, what about when resources get scarce? Got some work to do here, don't we? Where do you think the manna fell from? I want to make an announcement. He's able. And Jesus said, what did Jesus say? You've had to work hard. You've, you've earned your bread by the sweat of your brow up to now, but the kingdom is at hand and God's going to provide for you. And he's going to meet your needs, kingdom resources, which are consuming a lot of our time. Now, number one, number two, kingdom security, kingdom security. There is a security in the kingdom of God that everybody can lay hold of. All right, we're, we're living in a day where there's danger in the earth. Uh, we're struggling right now. Many people are, uh, we've got physical problems. You know, people are nervous about a uh, violent earth that we live in. Uh, some of you have home security systems, which is a great idea. Some, some of you lock your doors when you go drive your car. Uh, I understand now that doors lock automatically when you drive a car. I mean, you drive stuff old as mine, you have to lock it and you have to roll the windows up with a handle, but some of you carry pistols when you go out. There is a threat today. The fear of the threat is greater than the threat. And the fear of the threat is gripping the land. Uh, not only the physical assailing, there are uh, things can happen to people accidentally. There are physical things we can't see. We're dealing, the reason we're seated like this this morning is because one of them, germs in the earth, disease. And then I think bigger than that, there's a spirit world out there that is inflicting much damage on people. The division, the hatred, the broken homes, the bondage in people's hearts and minds today, that doesn't come from a virus, that comes from the dark side of the spirit world. Amen. Now, listen to me. Jesus says in the, that the kingdom of God is divine, not only protection, but security from anything that would harm you, physical or spirit realm. Listen to this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Car accidents, robbers, germs, demons. I'll live without fear from any evil. Why? Because I'm tough. This is not John Wayne. This is Jesus Christ. It's not about being tough for thou art with me. The presence of God is a deliverance. This is the the kingdom come, thy kingdom come is when we have divine security. Now, the reason I don't use the word divine protection uh, is because divine protection and divine security are two different things. Now, the Lord has promised us, I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 91 or not, any of these great passages, when it says this, there shall no evil befall you, nor shall any plague come near your home. For he shall give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. I'm going to spend a Sunday looking at angels in their ministry. But there's a big difference. Um, I want more than divine protection. I want divine security. Let me show you the difference. So I remember one time, I think one of my daughters was four. She'd been put to bed and I, she, I heard her crying and went in there and she, I said, what's wrong, sweetheart? She said, I'm scared. I said, sweetheart, there's nothing to be scared of. Now, let me ask you a question. Was that a realistic fear? This ain't hard. Is that a realistic? Not at all. There was no danger. I mean, she was fine. She had a redneck daddy and his seven friends right there. there no. She was in no danger. It was a perceived threat. Let me tell you something. She had protection. She didn't have security. Divine security is when you're protected and you can rest in it and you're not the least bit nervous about it. Listen to what the Bible says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. Let me tell you what I know about sheep. If you ever see a sheep laying down, there's no threat whatsoever. Sheep are very skittish animals. And if the sheep is the least bit nervous about something going on around them, that maybe there's a threat or whatever, they'll stand and their tail will wag real quick and they'll be looking around nervous. There may not be a threat. A sheep only lies down when he's in perfect peace. What did the Bible say? He makes me to lie down. Well, divine security is when you're not only protected, you know it. I love, the, I love this. Psalm 4, 8 says this, I will lie down and sleep and my sleep will be sweet because thou art my protection. The Lord alone gives me safety. I mean, you, you just sleep like a baby. There's a great picture of this in Mark chapter 4 where there was a hellish, and it was from hell, a storm that was trying to destroy a boat that Jesus and his disciples were in. Danger. Where was Jesus? He was dead asleep. He was not only protected, he was secure. The kingdom of God is when you are so secure in the hand of God over your life and your family that you don't have to set up, all right? That's one of the kingdom, the kingdom come. That's one of the kingdom blessings It's kingdom security. Number three, This is the needed one. The Bible talks about kingdom, inner life. Everybody here has got an inner life. They say, I can see your outer life. I I know who you are physically. I know the type of person you are. I can see your personality. I know where you work. Maybe I can find out about your hobbies, but you know what I can't see? I can't see what's going on inside of you. Everybody's got an inner life right here. Something goes on on the inside. And uh, I would dare say, I don't care what your outer life has. It's the inner life that makes life. Amen. The quality of life doesn't come from the size of your home, the size of your bank account, your bicep, your billfold, your budget, How what people think about you. You know what people think about you. You know what that is. That's not worth messing with. The quality of your life comes from what's inside here, the inner life. Jesus promised a kingdom, inner life, that would make everything else Right. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world if he's so miserable on the inside he can't stand himself? One of the great promises of God is kingdom inner life. I want you to look at it with me. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. See if you're seeing this in people in our land right now. All right, Romans chapter 14. One verse we find the kingdom of God again defined. The kingdom of God is the theme of the Bible from the day Jesus began to preach till he comes back. It's the theme of the Bible. And you find this great passage. Romans 14, 17 says this, the kingdom of God, there it is again, is not eating and drinking. Your life's not made great by what you eat and drink. What is it? It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what makes for a great life. And where does all that take place? Right in here. Let me tell you what, when you say thy kingdom come, that's what you're praying right there. When the kingdom comes in your inner life, here's what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit's gonna come to you, the presence of God. And he's gonna come inside of here. And uh, don't get hung up on that word righteousness. We've messed that word up in church a lot. Righteousness just means make right. And he's gonna come inside of here and listen what the Holy Spirit does. He makes things right in here. He takes out the hatred, the anger, the arrogance, the self-loathing, the self-aggrandizement. If it's not right, he takes it out and he leaves the love of God in here. And then what, after he's done that, because doesn't righteousness come first before the other two? When he makes things right on the inside, what's going to be behind that? Peace and joy. Dear ones, if a man's heart is right or a woman's heart is right by the Holy Spirit and they have peace, They're not afraid. They're not nervous. They're not upset. They're not mad. They're not angry. They're not bitter. And they have the joy of God. And can I use the word happiness? Now, sometimes stuffy preachers say, well, joy and happiness are not the same thing. They're close. They're close enough. What if God were to come right here and make things right and there was a peace on the inside of you and a joy on the inside of you? Tell me what else you'd need. Do you know how many, and I, maybe I just, this is a God thing with me. I've met numerous miserable millionaires throughout my life. Uh, let me tell you about one. I'm traveling years ago. <clears throat> some years back, a friend and I went and visited a home in the Bronx, New York. I visited a man in his home. He was a major league baseball player, retired. He'd retired from major league baseball. He was very good. He'd won a golden glove, which means he was the best in baseball at his position. Uh, big house, big billfold, Loved in his little in It's not a little city. That's a big city. Loved in his big city there. Well known. But he was so miserable. He was angry. He was bitter. He was sour on life. His wife was so beat down. His kids were so sad. There was just a dark spirit in that house. And I remember thinking, all this. But your inner life's messed up. What good's all this stuff? It was... I, inner life is the big deal. <clears throat> Jesus said this, get the inside of the cup clean first, hey. fix the inner life. The outer stuff will be fine. We well, you know what happens when the kingdom of God comes in your life. The Holy Spirit sweeps in and he fixes the inside and then you can enjoy your life with peace and love and joy. It's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> the posters of our nation tell me right now, Happiness is at an all-time 100-year low in our nation right now. Explain that to me. We've never had more stuff. We've never had more money. I thought technology was going to be the world's savior. Technology cannot bring peace of mind. Technology cannot create a happy heart. Technology cannot make things right on the inside. I'd trade some of the money and some of the fame... Peace of mind. The kingdom of God is inner life. Well, this is what Jesus promised. He promised to bring this on the inside. More about that later. Number four kingdom relationships. God is all about relationships. Now, He created us to need Him, but did you notice how God created us to need one another? Y'all hadn't noticed that. Only one person has noticed that. No wonder you're not sitting together. All right. When God created this beautiful earth we live in and and the magnificence of his creation, what's the first thing that wasn't right in it? What's the first thing he said was not good? Genesis, he said, it is not good that a man should be alone. People were created by God to be in relationship with other people. What's the problem? We're all screwed up. Let's don't make this complicated. You don't need a PhD in psychology to figure out we're all screwed up. What happens when screwed up people try to relate to one another? (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) Marriage is such a mystery. People say we have to love each other. Are you serious? Love is the easy part. Living together is the task. When you take one screwed up person would be bad enough. You take two screwed up people, and you tell them, get along 24 hours a day. Why are we in the mess around in, in this nation right now? Right, let me point you back to Genesis. As long as all the people on the earth were in right relationship with their God, they were in perfect harmony with each other. They loved each other. The Bible said they were naked and not ashamed. That's not, that meant there was no transparency, nothing to hide, no stupid games I'm playing. They were in perfect relationship. The moment people fell out of relationship with God was the first thing happened. That man who had loved and cared for his wife began to criticize her. And the division came between the relationships. We were on a perfect earth until man decided to rebel against God. And within 12 verses, Cain murders Abel. When men aren't right with God, they can't be right with each other. I'm amazed in this nation right now, the division, the division, the division in homes, racially, economically, in every way. And we keep thinking that we don't need God. We can fix this. The Bible teaches us this until the kingdom comes, people cannot walk with each other. Listen, God brings kingdom relationships. Let me tell you everything you need to know about marriage. I'm just a young man and an old preacher. His name was Dr. Dr. McGriff because he had two doctor's degrees. And he was mentoring me and he, he said, Son, let me teach you about marriage. He said, Don't spend a lot of time counseling. He said, Marriage is like the spokes on a bicycle wheel. Don't try to get the spokes together, get them both headed toward the center. And as they both move toward the center, naturally they'll come closer to each other. Let me tell you the key to a great marriage. You get two people to love God and chase God and without even trying, they'll get closer to each other. Everything in this universe centers around God and everything that's out of order on this planet is because that's out of order with God himself. If I can't get along with my brother or my sister or my neighbor, my problem's this way. Fix this, this will be right. Kingdom relationships is when God comes in the earth and causes people to get along with each other and not just get along, delight in it, enjoy each other, right? The world was broken from Genesis all the way to the book of Acts. Even the disciples fought amongst themselves as who would be the greatest. We're still doing it today. What happened in Acts chapter two? Does anybody know? The Holy Spirit came into the earth and the Holy Spirit of God moved in the earth and came on people And if you'll read the description in Acts 2, verses 42 through 48, you'll see that that is the first time since the fall of man where people really began to love each other and treat each other right. You know why? It wasn't because they had a class in relationships. It's because God came down. And the Bible said they were in one accord. They cared for each other. They sacrificed for each other. They enjoyed each other. God makes relationships right. He brings life back into relationships. In the book of Acts, you see that. And, and God's work in the earth is to bring people back into relationship. Listen, the Bible's very clear. I want you to listen to what it's like when God's in relationships. Let me describe it to you. This is from Philippians chapter 1. God is my witness how greatly I long for, not God, for you all, with the affection that Christ has put in my heart for you. God knits people's hearts. Listen, you get God in a marriage, in a home, in a church. In a community, people will love each other with a love that comes from God, not just self-effort. Can I ask you a question? If you're offended by preachers who don't talk very preachy, you might want to listen away for just a minute. What in the hell is going on in our churches? What is going on? Why are people beating each other and fighting and arguing? And why are preachers having nervous breakdowns? Why are people running? Brethren, these things should not be. If the church of Jesus Christ were in the kingdom of God, everybody in the community would say, I long to be where people treat each other like that. Thy kingdom come in this marriage, in this home, in this business. God brings kingdom relationship into businesses. I'll give you an example. Chick-fil-A is a business that was dedicated to God sure nobody's here. Well, may I humbly submit there are better chicken sandwiches? Okay. You'll probably find the Methodist church next Sunday. I mean, they're not, they're not bad, but really, I mean, they're okay. Oh, the greatest thing I ever tasted, yada, yada. That is pretty good, but it's not gourmet. They've gotten filthy rich because God's hands on them. What do you see when you go? What what is different about that place? When you go in there, watch how those people treat each other. You say, well, they have built a culture. That's the kingdom of God. God sets people in order with each other. Uh, I don't know why it is that religious people can't get along because they're not in the kingdom, but God promises kingdom one another. All right, let me do one more. You want kingdom. You want God in your relationships, whether it's your home, your neighbor, you and your, me and my neighbors get along great. And it's not just because we're all old and can't hear. (laughs) Listen to me, God rules in the affairs of men when people know how to bring the kingdom down. All right, one more and I've saved the number one for last. Uh, The kingdom comes is divine fellowship. That was our created purpose. Do you know why you were created? We teach here, and we believe the Bible teaches clear that, that I am not the product of a, of a biological mishap. I don't, I don't believe that I'm the product of my mom and dad. I believe I was known before my mom ever met my daddy. We believe that God said, let us make man in our image. I believe I was created by God. People say, was it that important? I don't think you can believe anything else Do you believe he's the creator. You got to get this in order. Now, here's the, the question is not, did God create me or not? I, I settled that a long time ago. You know what I'm still working on? Why? Why did he create me? I'm not the wonder that he would, but just, did he just create me and pitch me on this planet and say, mind your manners until I get back? I may believe God creates people with a purpose. I may even believe he had something in mind when he said, make him. My life's goal should be to find out why I was created. Well, it's very simple. All you have to do is buy your Bible, open it, and you'll find out I was created to enjoy God. And I was created for God to enjoy me. That is the number one reason I was created. Let me show you where you see that. We won't look at it, but if you want to go back and read the first words in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. It all begins with him. He created the earth. He created mankind. And as soon as he finishes creation in the first two chapters, what do you see happening? God put man in the earth, be successful. What do you see? And God stepped down into the garden in the cool of the day. And he walked with men and they talked with each other and they enjoyed each other. Do you really think God created me because he needed help? He spoke and the son exists. What does he need me for? God created me to walk with him and to hear his voice and to enjoy him. A great old song captures this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. His voice I hear falling on my ear. The son of God discloses, shows me. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own and the joy we share while we tarry there. None others ever know. If you're not having fellowship with God, you're missing your primary created purpose. All right. God created man. He walked with him. Genesis chapter three. What happened? Man chose to rebel against God, and that relationship was broken. For all those years, it was broken. But God, in His passionate heart, decided, "My love for you is greater than your sin against me," and I want my kids back. I'm just—that's a theological truth. I want my children back with me. And so Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross, so He could do what? What's the most important thing Jesus did to bring me back to my father's arms? Right, I'm going to quote to you from Luke 24. <clears throat> Jesus died on a cross, but you understand he hung on the cross for hours. But the exact moment of his death, something happened. That's, this is Matthew, Luke 24, verse 50. At the exact moment of his death, the Bible said this. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. That's the moment Jesus died. What's the exact thing that happened at that moment? Verse 51 says this, and the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil is a picture of the sin. God's back there in the Holy of Holies. I can come out here and learn about him. I can hear about him. I can see what he created, but I can't touch him. I can't walk up to him. That's what that veil's for. The moment Jesus died, the veil was rent. I can do more than learn about him. I can walk up and talk to him now. I can experience him. I can be touched by, I was created to touch God and for him to touch me. We call it the presence of God. Well, the kingdom comes when I can come back into the presence of God. Um, The great picture of this, let me point back Luke chapter 15. I told you about a young man who thought he could handle life on his own. He was a hard worker, but he couldn't. So he had a change of mind And he went back to his father as a sinner, a rebel. And what was his surprise? What was his shock? He thought what everybody thinks, he'll be so mad at me, but surely he'll let me get a job so I can eat. And the Bible said in verse 20, the father saw him and felt compassion, ran to him. What does it mean? Embraced him and kissed him. He felt his father's love. He felt it. Then they sat down together. He didn't send him out to work right then. They sat down and they ate together and they laughed together and they enjoyed each other. Can you see it? That's a picture of when I decide I've had enough of living on my own and I turn toward God. He doesn't hand me a rule. He grabs me and I feel his presence and I feel his love. And he doesn't tell me to get to preaching, get to work, quit cussing. He says, sit down and let's enjoy each other. And we dine together doing is the fellowship with God, enjoying God is the theme of the Bible. It's why you were created. And the kingdom comes back when me and him begin to enjoy each other again. And I begin to hear his voice and I begin to enjoy him. You know why the Bible is written? You might know? Well, let me just tell you. First John 1, 1 through 4, these things were written that you might have fellowship with the father, that your joy might be full. The Bible was written not to teach you how to quit cussing and smoking. I'm certainly not encouraging that. The Bible was written to teach you how to touch God again. The kingdom comes when I begin to touch him again and I begin to experience him in life again. All right, th- those are five areas and there's more. Now, Jesus declared the kingdom come, Jesus healed the sick, which is what? Divine security from disease. Jesus cast out demons, which is divine security from the dark demonic in our lives. Those five areas are areas of the kingdom of God. And if I can experience God again, that's why we have worship in here. We don't worship because I can't talk for an hour. Go ahead. We don't worship because we have to. This is not a religious practice. We worship for one reason. I hope God touches me during this worship. I hope I feel God. You know what worship, here's worship. Draw close to God, he will draw close to you. I hope while I'm singing and praising his name, I'll sense his presence. That's why we worship in here. And he speaks in that atmosphere. So here's the kingdom of God. I can touch God again. He can fix my inner life and bring me, make me a person of peace and joy. He can bring great relationships into my life. He can provide everything I need and I never have to worry about it again. And God is my fortress and my safety around me. If that were to happen in your life, guess what would ha- what that would be? That would be the kingdom has come. What did Jesus say? The kingdom is at hand. Live for this thing. Live for the kingdom of God. Let me leave you a scripture before we depart here. Very simply put, I uh, say, Brother Bonham, I'm all over. By the way, this is. Have you ever heard this message before of the kingdom? When Jesus sent his people out to preach in Matthew 10 70, he said, Go and preach, saying, The kingdom is at hand. Now, I. I heaven is my home. It's my joy. I I can't wait. But it was there's heaven before you get there. It's heaven come down and experience this. All right. We'll look at this. We'll spend a whole week looking at this. We won't look at it now. But people heard this message of Jesus. It was like the other preachers weren't preaching like this. And they began to say, how show us how to have this God come down here. Show us how this happens. And Jesus made it so simple. One day he did it. He demonstrated the kingdom of God. Jesus went right up into heaven and he brought God down into the earth and it was undeniable. Everybody saw it right there in Mark 11. Everybody saw it. And the disciples said, look what you did. They were surprised and amazed that Jesus could bring God down here like that. They were surprised. They said, that, that was God. That was God. And Jesus turned to them. He spoke four simple words. And he speaks the same four simple words to me and you. And it is the key to seeing the kingdom come into my life and home. And Jesus Turner said to them, have faith in God. Amen. Have faith in God. You know what he meant by that? You can do it. And since he told us in Mark 11:22 to have faith in God, he's calling us to do it. In case you're wondering, would God be that good to me? I <laughs> want you to listen to this. I already quoted Luke 12, 31. Seek you first the kingdom of God. All your bills will be paid. Everything else will be added to you. Let me quote the next verse. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can't earn this kingdom. You can't be good enough. Matter of fact, you know what I found? The good people don't get it as quick as the struggling people. I, I, let me tell you something. Jesus has enemies. Jesus has servants, and Jesus has friends. And what shocks me is, some of the best people never—they just stay his servants; they never become his friends. And some of the roughest of us, he has taken in as friends. So it's not right. Take it up with the one who wrote it. The preachers are mad because this man receives sinners and eats with them. I want you to know, you look at it one happy, fat preacher that this man receives sinners and eats with them. Thank God he receives people like me and eats with us. Doesn't just fuss at us. Jesus said the kingdom comes by having faith in God. And as I said, we'll look at it later. And then in the next two verses, verses 23 and 24, he showed us exactly how to do it. You do it by speaking and by praying. You proclaim the kingdom in the earth. Whoever says to this mountain, it'll happen. And you pray, but listen, here's the key word in the whole thing, you can't wish. Jesus said, you have to believe. And believe means you have to expect it. And you say, well, Brother Brian, I'm not to the place where I can really expect God to be that good to me. He'll even help you with that because He gives the faith. Because faith, you don't work it up on your own. Faith cometh by hearing God speak to your heart. And I want you to reach a place where you believe He will be that good to me and my family. And I'm ready to ask for it right now. I want the kingdom to come in my life. Let me quit by asking you a question. Do you have a life goal? Do matter have a, a life goal? And I'm not talking about goals in life. A lot of people have goals in life like an education, you know, a pretty husband or whatever. Get a dog. A lot of people have goals of retirement. They want to make enough money to retire by 55 or 85 or whatever now. And, People have life goals, but you need a life goal. Let me tell you the bad thing about not having a life goal. And this is an undeniable truth. If you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You need a life goal. All right, I got screwed up in life because my life goal as a young man was to be a criminal and have fun. I don't know how those two go together. But when I visit the jail, I realize, you know, Criminals don't have a lot of fun after a while. All right, I met Jesus. I got saved. That changed everything about my life. I began to go to church and I got a new goal. But even then it wasn't the right goal because then I was a preacher, became a preacher and my goal was to build a Baptist church. That was my life goal. And that's what I was taught. Give your life to the ministry. Give your life to God's work. I'm not sure if it was his or not, but, and I did. I, and you know what the problem was? Number one, it's pretty easy if you got a gift, after a while it gets boring. That'll go over good. Church pretty boring after a while. And I just, as a, even a young preacher, I kept thinking, there's got to be more to this God stuff than just going to church and not cussing. You see, you're just a rebel. Amen. Thank God for these rebels who keep digging beyond the I just began to spend time in the word of God, begin to cry out. And I began to see the kingdom of God rise up out of the word. And I began to say, there is more to it than this. And I would go to preachers and say, did you know this was in here? Imagine a 20 some year old guy going to a 50 year old PhD saying, did you know this was in here? That went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. That didn't quite clear the bar there. But you cannot unsee what you've seen by God in his word. And I changed my life goal. That's why I'm not a Baptist preacher anymore. Change changed my life goal. Because if you change your life goal, they'll change their preacher. I changed my life goal. Guess what it is now? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Live for the kingdom of God. Find out what God's doing in the earth and be a part of it. Live to see God do things in the earth. I've seen what I can do. I know you're no more impressed than I am. I've seen what churches can do, I've seen what people can do. I've seen what God can do. I want to see God work in the earth. I'm not going to take the time to tell you some of the things I've seen. You've seen them too. I love to see God do things in the earth where everybody knows, just like they did in Luke 11, that was God right there. That wasn't me, that was God right there. I live for the kingdom of God. I would encourage if you don't have a life goal, don't make it collecting old plates. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Make the priority of your life to see God do great things in the earth. Start right here. Bring it in your house and then bring it around you. Lord Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you that the kingdom is at hand. How could it be at hand all these years since the moment you began to preach and nobody knew it? How come this lost, stumbling world that can't get along and running out of resources and happiness at an all-time low how come they can't see the kingdom and know that it's right there at hand they could reach out with their hands and take it dear jesus i've asked you this a thousand times why can't the church see the kingdom well that's none of my business i thank you that my business is to seek the kingdom in the sphere you've got me i want to praise you and thank you that it is at hand i thank you that you are good father i praise you and thank you that you are willing that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, that you'll gladly step into our lives and really give us everything we long for. Father, I I can't imagine what anybody in this room or watching anywhere else, I can't imagine what they would want more than to be touched by you, have joy and peace on the inside, great relationships, financial security and protection. I can't imagine what anybody would want more than that. Thank you and praise you. You who created everything in this earth are the Lord over everything in this earth when the kingdom comes. Teach us in these next few weeks how to see the kingdom come in our hearts, our homes, and our communities. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.